We are uh, still in our series called More Than Enough. Uh, we are looking in this series to trade our mediocre. If you got your Bible on, you turn with me now to Luke chapter 8 through 25. And if my mic keeps going in and out, I'm going to switch it. Be patient. That's what I'm getting from the back. Luke 8, 22 through 25. Everybody have a good fall break? Lucas, did you have a good fall break? Good, man. That makes me happy. Luke 8, 22 through 25, and this is what God's Word says. It says, one day, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? If you would, pray with me now. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and God, this morning, all I want to do is to be a channel of, uh, I want to channel your spirit. I want to to channel your grace. I want to channel your love. I want to channel your peace. Um, We're here. You are the reason um, that we are here, and we're praying that your kingdom would come on the earth just as it is in heaven. Move in our midst. Give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Now, I don't always give uh, titles uh, to my sermons, but uh, I do have, uh, the sermon does have a title today, and here it is. Uh, The sermon's title for this morning is, uh, I'm calling it, Making Peace with the Wind. Making Peace with the Wind. What might it look like? for us to make peace with the wind. Historically speaking, the wind has been associated with chaos and with the unknown. I mean, think about it. When you are speaking of... I don't know what, I'm not sure what's going on back there. Historically speaking, the wind has been associated with chaos and with the unknown. Think about it. When you're on the sea, the wind has the power to take you wherever it pleases. And when you're on land, the wind can tear down your home and your defenses. One sudden gust of wind has the potential to change a person's life forever. I'm thinking that these guys, if they're like me, all they're going to do is shut the door. You know, I think a woman would go back there and say, is there anything I need to do? Guys are going to shut the door. In the uh, early, so far so good, right? Okay. In the early 1980s, scientists in the U.S. decided that they were going to build a biodome in the desert. And the goal of this experiment was to try to create perfect environment or plant and human and animal life to grow and thrive. They, in this dome, they purified the air. They only brought in 
purified water. They let in the perfect amount of sunlight. They controlled all of the variables. But the results of their experiment was very confusing. While some plants and animals thrived in this dome, all of the trees that they planted grew to a certain height, and then they toppled over. And for the longest time, the scientists couldn't figure out what's going on with the trees. That is until one of them realized that there was an element from the outside world that they hadn't brought into this dome. One uh, element that they had forgotten to replicate in the You can guess what it was. It was the wind. I mean, forever, scientists thought that the wind did damage to trees. But as it turns out, trees need the wind to grow. Because what happens when a tree just like a sapling is just growing up, the wind will blow and it'll cause the tree to sway back and forth. It extends in diameter, like the diameter of the tree widens. In a literal way, uh, the wind stretches trees. The tree's uh, trunk widens, the roots of the tree will also deepen and it will spread out. And in this way, a steady wind can lead to a strong tree. Now, I don't know if y'all have ever thought about wind like this before, but I think we too need the wind to grow. We need some pressure. We need some unpredictability. We need to be stretched. Something about walking through some wind and some storms makes us stronger. The wind has a way of strengthening our roots and of multiplying our fruit. Is there anybody in the room who can testify to this or anybody who's watching with us online? Anybody who, when you look back on your life, there was a time when you walked through something that at the time you really didn't think that you were going to be able to get through it, but now that you're on the other side of it, you feel stronger, you feel more secure, you feel better prepared for future storms. Anybody who would say, you know what, Brock, you are exactly right. The same winds that stretched me strengthened me. It hurt but it worked. If that's been anybody else's experience, if you say amen now, so I know I'm not alone. Now, of course, Jesus knew the power of the wind, and I believe that this is the reason that he led the disciples onto the lake when he did. It's a part of this story that often goes unnoticed, but this whole thing, this whole event was Jesus' idea. Like, it was Jesus' idea to get the guys on the boat. It was Jesus' idea for them to cross the lake when he chose for them to cross the lake. And it was his idea, I think, for he and the disciples to be on the lake when this storm hit. I honestly think that Jesus led the disciples into that wind and into those storms because he was trying to prepare them for future winds and future storms. This is what great teachers do. They mimic 
in our presence and their presence an activity that you might have to later do in their absence. This is also why I think that so disappointed with the disciples when they woke him up. I mean, he had spent his time walking with these guys, and he was trying to train them to rely on the Father and their direct relationship with him. He was trying to train them to rely on their relationship with each other. But here, when they felt the wind and they saw the storm, they cratered. Jesus was trying to prepare the guys for his departure, and they failed the test. I mean, when they wake him up, it's a great story. They wake him up, and he says, peace be still. And when he speaks, the, the waves stop, and the wind stops, and all is calm. But then he looks at the disciples, and he says this to them. He says, where is your faith? Where's your faith? He's essentially saying to them, hey, are you guys going to break every time you feel the wind? Are you going to hide every time a storm comes? Every t- are you always going to allow your fear to squash your faith? He's going, haven't I taught you guys better than this? Have, have, guys, listen to me. You are better than this. I think Jesus was trying to teach the disciples to make peace with the wind. Church, just because something is unpredictable, just because it's not what you expected, just because it's scary doesn't mean it's ordained. Church, storms are going to come. The wind is going to blow. And in those moments, we need some people in this world who will remain certain in the face of uncertainty. People who will remain calm in the midst of the chaos. A people who know that even when the wind blows, the anchor holds. When storms come, and I feel like we're in the midst of one right now in our world, this world is going to need some people who have made peace with the wind. People who have made peace with the storms. Let me show you something that I think is interesting. In the Bible are two words that primarily get translated to the English word spirit. The first is in the Old Testament, and it is the Hebrew word ruach. Ruach, R-U-A-H. Some people spell it R-U-A-C-H. Ruach, Hebrew, gets translated to the English word spirit. And then in the New Testament, the primary word that gets translated to the English word spirit is the word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. I'm sure many of you have heard that word before. But ruach and pneuma, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, get translated to the word spirit. Now, the interesting thing about both of those words, two different words coming from two different places, two different variations, both of those words could just as easily be translated to the English word wind. Ruach means the wind. Pneuma means the wind. This is not a coincidence. Like the wind, the Holy Spirit is unpredictable. It has the power to take you wherever it pleases. At any time, the Spirit can tear down your walls and your defenses. One sudden gust of the Holy Spirit can change a person's life forever. Now the argument that I'm trying to make today, church, is that I think as believers, we should view the wind differently than our non-believing friends. I think while our non-believing friends, when they hear and feel the wind, they think about the natural. When we hear and feel the wind, we can think about the supernatural. 
They're, living, they're talking about the natural, we're talking about the spiritual. Where they see destruction, we should see resurrection. Where they see ashes, we see beauty. Where they see storms, we think about our Savior who's on the boat sleeping. There are some things that this world is afraid of that shouldn't frighten us. The wind isn't a power to be feared, but it is a power to be harnessed. While the rest of the world fears the wind, I'm going to trust in the wind. I'm going to trust in the Ruach. I'm going to trust in the Numa. I'm going to trust in the Spirit. Now, let me be clear. I'm not talking here about a blind optimism, okay? Like, I'm not saying that if, you're, if your world is not okay, you should pretend to be okay. I'm not saying that as believers, we should never hurt or we should never be scared. But what I am saying is our God is in control, and we know him, and he's on our side, and that should change everything. What I am saying is, our God is sovereign over the wind, sovereign over the waves, sovereign over the storm. He is, church, the same God on the good days and on the bad days. And his holiness and his worthiness and his sovereignty are not weather-dependent. I'm saying we need to be really careful that we don't curse the same winds that God is using to strengthen us. I want to teach you something, church. And it's simple, but I think you can really make a difference in, in your future, okay? If you, again, in the near future, find yourself in the midst of a storm, if you find yourself at a place where you just feel like the world is, is breaking you down, you feel like you're about to collapse underneath the, the weight of it, if you uh, find yourself feeling the wind blowing at your back and you fear upcoming destruction, this is what I want you to do. I want you to set your gaze to heaven, and I want you to say these words. I want you to say, Holy are you, Lord, even in this storm. Holy are you, Lord, even in the storm. Holy are the Lord, holy are you, Lord, even in this storm. And I want you to keep saying it until you feel it. Because I believe that one of the easiest ways for us to make peace with the wind is to acknowledge the sovereignty of God. For us to get to a place where, like Johnny Ray always says, we recognize that God is in control of the things that we are not in control of. One of the most healing moments in my life came in the form of a dream that I had about a decade ago. Now, I know y'all have heard me talk about my childhood a lot, and I'm not going to do that now, but it, it wasn't great, okay? My dad was an alcoholic, died of bone marrow cancer when I was 15. Mom died of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when I was 20. At that point in my life, I've never felt as alone as I felt back then. It was just, it was an awful feeling. And I know that some of you all have experienced even worse things.
it's a competition or something like that. Like I know that some of you have heard some of your stories. Y'all have endured some really tragic things. But, you know, that's my history. Like, that's where I, I came from. That's the, uh, the baggage that I carried around with me for a lot of years. But sometime around my 30th birthday, uh, I, I had a dream. And in my dream, I was teaching a group of students at the church that I was at before I came here. And uh, I had about 20 students, and it was Riley's Creek, the church that I was serving, and we were in the fellowship hall, and the text that I was trying to teach them, um, all this is a dream, was Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And you all know the text. It's a great text. It says, and we know that God works all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so I'm trying to teach the students this text, and I share it with them once. We know that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, but like really weren't paying very good attention to me. You know, it's like I could hear them, like, as I'm saying it, and the verse mattered to me. As I'm saying it, they're just still kind of mumbling in the background. And so uh, my response, and this is probably, I think I probably still do this as a preacher, but when I feel like people aren't listening to me, I just get louder, right? And so uh, I was doing that with the kids. I was going, and we know that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we know that called according to his purpose. I just kept getting louder and louder to the point that I was shouting it. And as soon as the volume started going up, the kids started paying attention to what I was saying. They're like, oh, I think he's pretty serious about this. And so I just kept on in my dream. I'm just reciting it one time, one time, one time, after the other. And the final time, I crescendo. I got as loud as, as I could possibly go. And as soon as I spoke those words, I broke into tears immediately. And in my dream, I felt like for the first time that this text, I wasn't just reading it, but it had reshaped me. Like I could feel the meaning of the words. I could feel it in the depths of my being. Like I could feel the truths of this. I could feel it piercing my soul. It was almost like just a, a dam opened up and the water just flowed directly through. And when I woke up, I had tears in my eyes, real tears. And I felt like a weight had been lifted off of me. And I realized that in that moment, even the tragic things that had happened in my past, God was using them for his glory and for my good. Church, our God has a way of transforming our pain into power. I don't know how he does it, but I'm so glad he does it. I don't know how it works, but I'm so glad that he is doing that work. That night, 10 years ago, that's the night that I feel like I made peace with the wind because I knew then that the same winds that came to stretch me were also going to be the winds that strengthened me. It hurt, church, but it worked. I wonder for you all, what would it look like? What would it look like for you to make peace with the wind? What would it look like for you to look back on some of your stories and realize that a lot of the things that you've been mourning, a lot of the things that you've been angry with God about in the past, what would it look like for you to let go of some of those things and to realize, see the strength and the power that he has he's brought out of you by having walked through those experiences? I feel like I'm supposed to tell somebody today that you don't have to know the plan to trust the plan. You don't have to know the plan to trust the plan. You don't have to see God at work to know that he is always working. You don't have to know how the story's going to end to trust the author. 
Like some of the things in your life right now, some of the things that hurt the absolute worst, God is going to use to bear the most fruit. The reality is a lot of the things that we call bad, God uses for good. And a lot of the things that we call good are detrimental to our souls. What I'm trying to say to you, church, is we don't have a very good gauge. Like our gauge is broken. A lot of things happen in our lives where we say, oh, that was a great thing that happened to us. And it ultimately leads to the, the detriment. There's a lot of things we say, no, that was a, a really bad thing that happened to me. And we see God working it. Good. We, the gauge is broken. There is a great Chinese proverb that I think illustrates this concept really well. And it goes like this. There was a, a, a farmer and his son. And they had one horse and they used this horse to make a living. But then one day, out of the blue, the horse ran uh, away. And the neighbors came and they said, oh, you, that, you used that horse to make it. What terrible luck. Your one horse ran away. What terrible luck. And the farmer said to the neighbors, maybe so, maybe not. A few days later, the horse returned back to the farm. Only this time, it brought with it a bunch of wild and they all show up, and the neighbors come, and they go, wow, what incredible luck. You only had one horse. It left, and now you have a, a, a ton of horse. What great luck. And the farmer looked at his neighbors and said, maybe so, maybe not. A few days passed, and the farmer's son was trying to break one of the wild horses, and he's thrown off the horse's breaks his leg. And the neighbors go, what terrible luck. Your, your son, you, you got the horse, your son Broke his leg. What terrible luck. The farmer said, maybe so, maybe not. A few weeks later, soldiers from the National Army marched through recruiting all able-bodied boys for the Army, but the son couldn't go because he was still nursing his injury. And the neighbors said, oh, what great luck your boy is spared. And the farmer said, maybe so, maybe not. The point of the story is, until we know how the book ends, we need to be really careful judging the chapters. Do you hear me? Until we know how the whole thing ends, because we don't know how it's going to end, until we see how the whole story ends, we need to be really careful judging the chapters. Because when you're in the midst of it, you have no idea how God's going to use your divorce, your sickness, your trials, your pain. You have no idea how God is working them even right now for his glory and for your good. But what I'm trying to tell you is you can make peace with the wind because he is. He is. You don't have to know what he's doing with it to know that he's doing something with it. That's all I'm trying to, that's all I'm trying to say. I think for me, one of the easiest ways to make peace with the wind is to trust the author, even when parts of the story don't make sense. For me, one of the easiest ways to make peace with the wind is to trust the author, even when part of the story doesn't seem like it fits or doesn't seem like it makes sense. Turn with me now to John chapter 14, verse 25 through 27. I'm almost done. John 14, 25 through 27. Is what I'm saying resonating with anybody? Okay. John 14, 25 through 27, and this is how the text reads. It says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. 
Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Church, in this text, Jesus says that peace is our inheritance. He says that peace is our inheritance. And he's not just talking about any peace, but he says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give like the world gives. I don't respond to the problems like the world responds to the problems. I don't respond to the wind like the world responds to the wind or to storms the way the world responds to storms. If you want to know what the peace of Jesus looks like that he passes on to us, I think we can go back to the first story that we read right as we started into the sermon. When the wind hit and the storm hit, what was Jesus doing? He was asleep. He was asleep. Why? He made peace with the storm. He had made peace with the wind. And this is the sort of peace that he has gifted to us when he says, my peace I give to you. Just this past week, uh, our family went and spent a couple of nights over fall break camping with the Brutons in Jellico. And the first night that we were camping, we all went to bed. I'm thinking it was probably around like 11 o'clock. And uh, we get into bed, and in uh, my tent, all of our daughters are sleeping in the same tent, but I got me and Bethany, and the boys are in my tent. And right around 11 o'clock on Monday night, um, this just kind of rain storm slash wind storm came through Jellico. And for about three hours, it rained really hard. I'm talking about the kind of, like, I got, we got a pretty nice tent, and I'm still talking about the kind of rain that as you're laying there in the tent, you can just kind of feel water coming from somewhere hitting you, and you're thinking, oh, I don't, know, I don't even know how this is possible. Like, there's a rain, you know, rain fly on this thing, like the whole thing. But for three hours, the wind blew, and our tent just whipped in the wind, just pa pa pa. I mean, like, there were moments where it felt like our tent was about to take and, uh, and the whole time, me and Bethany are laying there, and we're wondering, you know, why are we spending our fall break in Jellico in a tent when we could have been at the beach, right, for two nights? And the Brutons, I know, were thinking the same thing. But the whole time it's raining, and the whole time it's storming, and the whole time the wind was blowing, guess what Langston and Riggs were doing? They were asleep. They were completely out of it. Why? Because they trusted me and their mom, because they knew that if the storm was going to, if it ever got too bad, they knew that we'd pulled them out of it even before they had to ask. They knew that we were with them, and I think that they felt safe knowing that we were, knowing that we were in their presence. Oh, church, that we would trust the Father like that, that we would trust that even when the storms come that we're safe because he's with us, that we would trust that at the point that the storm gets to be too much for us or that the wind is blowing, blowing too hard for us, that he'll pull us out of the storm before he lets it completely drown us. That we would trust in the sovereignty of God. That we would trust in the author even when parts of the story don't seem to make sense. I think then and only then will we have the peace of Christ. Then and only then will we receive the full inheritance that he's offered to us. Pray with me. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and God, I thank you for...
I thank you for your word. God, something in your spirit tells me right now that there are some people who, when they look back at their stories, they've got some hurts that they haven't dealt with. They've got some things that they've just tried to pack away and, and, and hide out and, and just try to pretend that those things didn't happen. Um, God, I pray today that they would find themselves making peace with the storm, making peace with the wind, realizing that the same winds that stretch them are strengthening them, that they would realize that a lot of what they have experienced, the hurts that they've walked through now, if they'll share them with other people, those can form bridges into other people's hearts. Those sufferings can produce connections that they would never have otherwise. God, give us your peace. Let us receive your inheritance, even now. Teach us to rely on you and to rely on each other. And if you would be so gracious, God, let us make peace with the wind. We love you. It's in Jesus' name.